Good morning. I don't know what I did. I scared everybody off over there, so that's all right. Thank you, Kim, for giving me your mercy. At least, at least we got five rows. We could pick any seat. But, um, we are in the midst of this following Jesus series. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to find the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, 28. Uh, we're looking in verses 18 through 20 in Matthew 28. We'll also be in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. And finally, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. And what we're doing is we're going through these three different passages known as commissions. Uh, in reality, they're commands. If, you, if we actually read uh, what Jesus is saying, they're commands. These are not things that, that Jesus is saying, you know, we have a choice in doing this and following him. These are things that are expected of us as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, as Christians. And we've been walking through this series, we've been building up a statement on what it is to follow Jesus, which we've been pulling from these three passages as we focus on different aspects of each one. But if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to find Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we'll start there and then we'll jump, jump to Luke 24 and then finally Acts chapter 1. And the word of the Lord says, And when Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jumping to Luke chapter 24, Matthew, Mark, then Luke, picking up in verse 44. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And finally, in the book of Acts, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, again, the words of our Lord and Savior. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And like I said, we've been building this statement as we've been going through following Jesus. Um, we're using the letter A and A words to kind of emphasize each thing. And this is what we have come up with so far. Following Jesus begins by recognizing Jesus' authority over my life to take action. Jesus says, go for the sake of addition. Jesus says, make disciples over my life to take action for the sake of addition in my allegiance as I advise myself and others as an advocate of God. And we're going to be focusing on the word advocate. It's not found in the scriptures, but the word advocate means if we are advocating something, we are urging someone else to believe or to understand what we have already come to believe and understand. Jesus does not say you are my advocate, but he says you are my witnesses and you will be my witnesses. In Luke chapter 24, verse 48, you are my witnesses of these things. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read you will be my witness. And this is where we're going to really focus in on this morning, this idea of witnessing. In Luke 24, verse 48, the 
The wording is in the present or the current. He says, you are my witnesses. And what are we to be witnesses of? What are we currently witnessing about as we follow Jesus? Well, you turn back into a few verses there in Luke chapter 24. He says, you are my witnesses of these things. What are these things? That everything that has been written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus said, everything that has been spoken of me in the Old Testament, that's what we would call the Old Testament, not what the disciples understood as the Old Testament. That was their scriptures. That was their word of God. But he says, everything written about me must be fulfilled that the Christ, verse 46, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus says, you are now witnesses of God's truth. You are the walking testimony, the walking witness, the walking evidence of God's truth as has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is what we are as following Jesus. That people look at us and they say, you are a witness that God's word is true. That's what a witness is. That's what following Jesus, that's what our testimony is as we go about in our life. But it's not just in our current, but it is a present and future state, a continuous action, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, is that you will be my witness. And it's pointing to the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we'll focus on next week as we wrap up this series. But you will be my witnesses concerning what? That verse 47 in Luke chapter 24, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His, Jesus' name, to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. See, we are currently witnessing that God is truthful and faithful, that his word is something we can rely upon, that we can trust in, that we can turn to. And people should look at our lives and say they are a witness, a testimony of the faithfulness of God's word. But we are also a witness, not just by our faithfulness to the word of God and living it out. We're also a witness in that we are to be proclaiming it out. We are to proclaim that Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he rose on the third day. And we are to proclaim that it is only accepting this gift is only through repentance from our sins and accepting the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. In we, when we read through Scripture, when we read, particularly in the New Testament, concerning how it is that we follow Jesus and what that can look like, the New Testament knows no such thing as a Christian who is not a witness, who is not advocating for the kingdom of God through the message of Jesus Christ. There is no such thing. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not proclaiming in some fashion that Jesus is the Christ and he has fulfilled the scriptures of God. There's a story about a man who worked in a law office, a big law office with many partners. And every weekend, a lot of his partners decided that they would go golfing. And they knew that their friend liked to go golfing with them. And so they would always ask him. And every weekend, this guy would say, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I can't go golfing. So one day, one of his partners called him out. And he says, look, we know you like to golf. You talk about golfing. We know you like to get out there. But we ask you every single week to come out and hang out with us to go golfing on Sunday. And you tell us every single week, no. Why? You not like us? The man looked at his friend, his fellow partner in the law office, and says, look, I can't go on Sunday because I go to church on Sunday. So his partner shook his head and kind of understood and said, yeah, I don't understand why you do that. 
And he's kind of confused. What do you mean? Why do I I go to church? He goes, no, I don't understand. I've heard you talk about golfing. I've heard you talk about your family. I've heard you talk about your vacation. But I've never heard you talk about church or God up until this moment. See, as a witness, that can't happen. As a witness, we can talk about the things we like in life and our family and movies and vacation and, and all the things we find enjoyment from. But when Jesus says, you are my witness and you will continuously be my witness, he's saying what you are to testify in this life is about the greatness of God. You are to testify about the faithfulness of God, the truthfulness of God's word. And that people should not be surprised when they look at your life and hear the words coming out of your mouth that you are testifying to who Jesus Christ is. I find it interesting in the New Testament that many times when it speaks about testing of our faith, the word trial is mentioned. When you think about a witness in the, in the role of a courtroom, that's exactly what we are as following Jesus. As God leads us in this world and He places us through trials so that the world can look on our life in the way that we are witnessing to the authenticity of the scriptures and what we believe. If you read into the Gospels, you see that John the Baptist was questioned by the Pharisees and Sadducees on who he said he was. They wanted to know if he was the Christ or if he was the prophet or if he was one of the ones they were waiting for to come. You look into the book of Acts, you find the apostles Peter and John and later Paul. They were put on these trials in which they were supposed to give a testimony. They're supposed to be a witness, to advocate for their faith in Jesus Christ. Here's reality. I think a lot of us are scared about sharing our faith because we have bought into the lie that the world doesn't want to hear it. The world is ready to hear an authentic follower of Jesus Christ testify about the love of God in, in such a way that they are excited about it. Now, I've already had many conversations this morning. I've shared about you know, the new Star Wars movie coming out that I'm wanting to go see. I've shared about summer break coming up and vacations going on. But here's reality. None of that is comparable to the glory of God. None of that is comparable to what people really need to hear. This last uh, couple of weeks as we've been going through this series, God has convicted me that I've watched my neighbors coming in and out of their house and I share that they've moved um, recently. But... I've gotten to build a relationship in a matter of weeks just through the conviction of reading through these commissions over and over again to build a relationship with them that they told me where they're moving. They, they know I'm a pastor. They, they've told me that, you know, where they're moving. They've, they've shared their hearts. They've asked me to now to start praying for them about certain things. All because I've taken this word of God and I'm going to trust it that this is what God has wanted me to do and the beauty of it that we're going to talk about next week is God gives me the ability the power to do what he commands me to do to go and be his witness and to testify y'all familiar with the movie A Few Good Men Tom Cruise Jack I mean I love that's I love courtroom, lawyer-type shows. I have had the blessing or not had the blessing of ever being on jury duty. I know some of y'all have had that this last year, but I've never had that blessing yet. You know, we'll keep praying, keep praying for me. Um, but I do like lawyer movies and lawyer TV shows. And what, the best one, I, I think, for me is A Few Good Men, just because of that one scene at the very end where Jack is on the stand. Yeah, what is it, Bridget? You can't handle the truth. We want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Well, this is exactly what the world wants. They want 
truth. They want absolute truth. They want things that are concrete. And this is what we have. This is what Jesus says when he says, I am the truth. He says, I am the absolute truth. And here's the promise about the truth that Jesus said, is that when you come to know the truth, when you abide in the truth, guess what the truth will do for you? It will set you free. And when you look out onto the news and you look out into the world, you look out at the people you work with, what you're seeing of people who are in bondage in their sin. And Jesus says, look, I have given you the truth. I have revealed the truth to you. You have the truth that has set you free and you have the truth that will set them free. Now go about and testify, be a witness of this truth. Because we know the one thing that will save people from the depths of their sin. We know the one thing that will keep people from being killed, stealed, and destroyed by the enemy that Satan is out to get them, and that is Jesus Christ. And the reality is, as we follow Jesus, we are either a faithful witness or an unfaithful witness. What I mean by that is we are either pushing people towards the cross and pushing people towards the love of God, or we're pushing them away from it. And Jesus says, you are my witnesses. You are the living proof that I am who I say I am. This is the mantle that Jesus is now handing us as his followers. As now people are to look upon you and the life that you're living, and they are to see that I am truth. I am real. And we're to have a conviction about that. Jesus points in Luke chapter 24 He says, you are witnesses of these things. And he's speaking about the things that they've just experienced, the things that they've just gone through, the things that Jesus just revealed to them, not only with the the law and the scriptures and the Psalms and the prophets in the Old Testament, but what happened when Jesus was crucified but then rose from the dead. Here's the thing. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ without a personal experience with the living Christ. You can't. And you cannot be a witness without a personal relationship with God. You can invite people to church all you want, but until you know God on a personal, intimate level that only comes through Jesus Christ, you cannot be a witness nor a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be a good person. You can do all the right things, but you still may be lost. Jesus says, now that you are my witnesses, because you have personally experienced me. And so what we do as witnesses and advocates of Jesus Christ and following him. And what I'm encouraging us all to do this morning is sometime this week, I want you to sit down and I want you to think about your personal testimony. Sit down and think about, okay, when did I come to the knowledge of God? Maybe you were like me and you came to knowledge of God when you were a young child and, and you accepted Christ and were baptized. But maybe you're like me and when you got into your teenage years, you kind of fell away from God. And so I came to God at a young age, but I returned to God when at the age of 19. And so maybe that's part of your testimony. Maybe you you speak about your prodigal son, but your prodigal years. But then what happened? What brought you into that relationship? What awoken you? What made you come back to God in such a way? And then the thing that people do in testimonies is they spend all this time talking about their life of sin and then they have this encounter with God and then they say, well, I'm saved and that's my testimony. But that's not the testimony. Jesus says, you will be my witness and you are my witness. So what is God doing in your life right now? And up to that point, you came to be saved. See, my witness is what God has done for me and what God is continuing to do in me and through me.
And so I want to encourage you all, okay, I'm going to set aside the time to build my testimony. If you look through the book of Acts, you see that Paul over and over again had to give his testimony about how he met Jesus, how he came to the knowledge of truth, and how now and why he's doing what he's doing in his life. See, people want to know the hope that you have. They want to know that because you look out in this world and it is a hopeless world. They're turning to all sorts of things to give them definition and it's money or kids or family or sports or hobbies, all this stuff to give them some sort of definition in life when the reality is all those things will eventually fade away. But we have the truth. We have the one truth that is going to set them, flee, them free. And we have the one truth that makes Christianity different than all other world religions. So the truth of Christianity compared to all other world religions, is Christianity says that God did everything for us so that we might be saved and we might be a follower of Jesus Christ. Whereas all other world religions, whatever name they go by, say that we as an individual have to do things in order to maintain or continue to receive the grace and love of God. So we have to get to a certain level, whether it's karma or a certain level on the ladder or a certain state of nirvana, or we have to do a certain amount of good deeds, or, or we have to have a certain amount of, of offspring or wives, or you know, we won't go there. But I mean, we have to do certain things. I have to be good enough in order for God to bless me. But the reality is what Christianity, true gospel Christianity says is God already did it all. And it's by grace we are saved. This is the truth is I come into the presence of a holy God and I don't have to act like I have to prove myself to him. I simply have to accept his love and his graces and mercy for me and then live in that. And when I live in that, it is the response to God's love and mercy that begins to show the fruit and begins to be my witness. But this is what Jesus is calling us. As we go out into the world, as we have to make the stand that everyone looks upon our life and sees a difference. There's a difference in us. There's a different thing we're testifying about. There's a different thing we're, we're advocating for and urging people to believe in. See, if we actually believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that should make a difference in the relationships we have in our life. It should have made a difference in my relationship with my neighbor across the street. I should have gone over there when I first moved in and introduced myself. It should make a difference. We should be going out into the world. And the Bible says that we are to always, always to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason that a hope, for the hope that is in you. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. The word defense in 1 Peter chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 15 is a word that we render in English for apologetics. The word apologetics means that we are to give a reasonable defense to what we believe concerning God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. And what the Bible says that as a witness or an advocate of God is that now I am, I am and we all are apologetic theologians. To be a theologian is to speak on, to think on, to understand, to grow more in the knowledge of the things of God. And so it doesn't matter what title you have in life, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a teacher, a banker, an insurance person, uh, whether you're a part-time con or a construction worker, it doesn't matter where you find or what title this word gives you. The reality, the title that Jesus Christ has already given you is you're an apologetic theologian. 
So you're an apologetic theological teacher. You're an apologetic theological banker. You're an apologetic theological student. You're an apologetic theological stay-at-home parent. You're an apologetic theological whatever. You fill in the blank, but all before you, whatever that is the world titles you, first, you are a defender of the truth and a defender of God. Not that God needs you and I to defend him, but he calls upon us to go out into this world to give him defense for the hope that we have. Another interesting thing about this word witness that we find in the Gospel of Luke and also in the Gospel of Acts is the word witness in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts is the word we render in English for martyr. It literally means an individual, you are now an individual who is going to give up their life with possibly the idea that it will end your life. See, the word witness calls for conviction. I cannot be a witness without the conviction that what I am witnessing about, what I am testifying about, is the truth and what I have actually seen, heard, and experienced. But that is exactly what Jesus Christ is calling us. He's calling us to be a witness and to have this conviction that what we have come to believe is the truth that has set us free and is the truth that will set all people free. And so we have to share it. So there's no such thing in Scripture as a hoarding Christian. We're not to keep it to ourselves. I love uh, Middle Earth stories. If I say Middle Earth and I've already lost you, um, that's Lord of the Rings and Hobbit, and there's some other books that they'll make movies of because it makes money. Um, but one thing that Tolkien, you may not know, is Tolkien ran around with C.S. Lewis, and there's a couple other individuals, they ran around, they had their own little club, and they talk about theological ideas and stuff, and they wrote these stories, Chronicles of Narnia and things like that. But um, Tolkien's whole Middle Earth thing is to tell the story of God through a way that people would be able to relate to in fantasy. And there's several different illustrations you can take from the story, but one that I think a lot of churches and a lot of believers are doing is they're falling into the role of Gollum in the Lord of the Rings movie. And if you're not familiar with Gollum, that's what he does pretty much the whole time. He, he's fascinated with this ring. It's the one ring to rule them all, so I'm going to spoil the whole movie. Um, he doesn't get it in the end. Well, he does, but not in a good way. Um, but he's after this one ring. And what Gollum wants to do with this one ring, because he knows this one ring is beautiful. He knows that it's precious. That's what he calls it. He calls it precious. He knows that it's a value. Is he wants to keep it to himself. And there's a lot of believers that have come to understand Jesus Christ and the cross and the crucifixion and resurrection. They see it as value and precious. But what they're in turn doing is they're keeping it to themselves. Now there's another character in the book or in the movies and his book, really what it is, named Frodo. And Frodo also comes upon this one ring. But Frodo comes to the realization that through this one ring, though it is precious and valuable, this one ring can save the world if it's used correctly. And Frodo is tempted throughout his life to, to, to hoard it like Gollum does and become into that dark place where he keeps it to himself. But ultimately, Frodo decides he's going to make the ultimate sacrifice and turning the ring over so that all evil can be vanquished. And that's what we have to do. 
We, we cannot be a golem where we hoard the message of Christianity and the message of Christ to ourselves. And even though it's precious and we place value on it in our life and we want to keep it dear, we have to be more of the Frodo Hobbit. We see the value, but we understand that if we keep this to ourselves, the, all things that we've come to love and cherish in this world will be destroyed. All the people in our life that we want to hang out with will be destroyed. And so we have to be willing to give up up of ourselves and sometimes our comfort and to give up our time to do what needs to be done and to be a witness. If this scares you about being a witness for Jesus Christ, then I want to point you to a couple of resources. One is the book by C.S. Lewis, who's a friend of Tolkien, called Mere Christianity. Summer's coming. Some of us have a few extra hours. Some of y'all drive to work. You can buy the audiobook and just listen to it. Mere Christianity is one that's considered a Christian classic. Another one out there is called Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. There's another good apologetic-type book. Lee Strobel was an atheist. So was Lewis, by the way, before they came to Christ. And, and in Strobel's attempt to uh, dis- disprove Christ, he came to understand that that Jesus Christ was the actual truth. And so that book came out of it. Um, But you can look to those things if you want to build this up. But I also want to give you another resource this morning that can help you and me to be a witness. So last week we talked about the word grace as an acronym because these whole commissions are about us being followers of Christ. To be a follower of Christ, we have to be a proclaimer of Christ. That's following Jesus as I proclaim Jesus. Another acronym that I want to give you this morning is the word gospel. Because we proclaim the gospel. That's the good news. That God sent His Son, His only Son, to die on a cross for our sins. And whoever believes in Him shall not perish but be given eternal life. That's the gospel. The word gospel means good news. G-O-S-P-E-L. I don't have my whiteboard out, so you're just going to have to follow with me on this. Um, If you want, as you walk out, I made these little pieces of paper with the word gospel, the acronym on it, and what this is all about. But to be a proclaimer, if I just remember, okay, how you spell gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. Okay, what does each one stand for? The word G in gospel stands for God, but more importantly, it stands for that God created you and me to be with Him. He created us for a relationship. If you look in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you see that God created all things good, and when He came to the end of creation, He He declared it very good. Genesis chapter 2 says that God came into the garden in the cool of the day and Adam heard the sound of God, meaning it was a familiar sound to Adam for God to come in and to be in God's presence and have this relationship with God. But in the midst of that in Genesis 3 where God heard the sound of God coming, where Adam heard the sound of God coming in because Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, they hid. That's what sin does. And so God created us for a relationship, but our sin, oh, our sin separates us from God. And we see that in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God, hid from God who came to be with them in a relationship. And, And Adam and Eve, right there in Genesis, we see the gospel start to play out. Adam and Eve deciding, you know what? We've got to start covering ourselves because they were ashamed the way God created them. Isn't that what the world preaches? To be ashamed of the way God created you. And so we cover ourselves with all this stuff to not be who we actually are. Image bearers of God and the likeness of God, beautiful and wonderfully made by God. That's what God declares to you and declares this world. You are wonderfully created. But because of sin, we cover that. 
rat of Adam and Eve is when they cover their sin, they understand that sins cannot be removed by good deeds. That's us. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. I cannot, I cannot cover my sin enough with being good enough in this world. I can't go to church enough, read the Bible enough, sing enough songs, listen enough Christian music. I cannot give enough money to the church. I cannot sign, enough, sign up enough, enough for mission trips. There's nothing I can do to be good enough to remove this sin that is in my life. And so there's a lot of people that bought in that that's the gospel, which Paul says those people who preach that gospel and proclaim that gospel should be a curse. The word is they should, I know we have kids with us today, but it, it literally means they should be damned to hell. That's what Paul is saying. If you preach any other gospel, that's what should happen. And some people believe that if I'm just good enough, if I just make mommy and daddy happy enough, then I must be a Christian and follower of Jesus Christ, but I can't do it. That's why Jesus said we are witnesses that he died on the third day and, or he died on the cross and on the third day he rose from the grave because he paying the price for our sin. Jesus Christ died and rose again. That's exactly what Jesus says. You are witnesses of these things. That Jesus Christ and him alone died for our sin. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose from the grave that we might be saved. E, everyone who believes in him will be saved. That's what we're witnesses about. God did it all, paid it all, once and for all. So we witness about this. L, life eternal means we get to be with God now and forever. That's the gospel. That's from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible says, when I place my faith in this, what the, what the natural response is, when I believe that I can't do anything to earn this salvation, and anyone who doesn't have this salvation is lost and won't be with God, they'll be cut off with God forever, forever, then I need to tell people about this salvation. I need to tell people about the gospel, about the good news. God didn't just create me for a relationship. He created you for a relationship. He created everyone for a relationship with him. But all of us have sin and all of us are cut off from God. We're separated, but Jesus paid the price. And I just go through the gospel. And I give a defense for the hope that I have found. It's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I've got it all figured out. It's not that I do it right every single moment of every single day. Lord knows, thank you for your grace. I mess up. But because of Jesus Christ, I know my sins are paid once and for all and my sins are removed from me as far as the east is from the west before holy God. That God no longer sees me in my sin, but I am now clothed in the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I don't know where you are this morning, but here's what I do know. If you've yet to accept the message and the free gift of love, for you through God, through Jesus Christ, you are lost and still in your sin. But that's not what God wants for your life. He extends His gospel to you this morning. He created for you, you for a relationship with Him. Your sins are separating you from, from Him. You cannot do enough stuff to remove your sins, but Jesus did by paying it once for all on the cross and rising from the grave. And it's an open invitation. Everyone who believes in this gift, in this love, in this gospel, will be given eternal life that begins not just now, but lasts forever. If that's where you are this morning, I'm going to be standing right here. I'm going to invite you to come down. 
If you're here this morning and you know that God has placed people in your life and this is the gospel, you need to be witnessing to them in your life, but you just, man, I'm just struggling how to do it. Back on that table underneath the lights, there's these little pieces of paper. Grab one of them. I encourage you to put it to practice to memorize. Uh, You're going to hear me. I use this form at the invitation time like I just did. And just, it's it's a simple tool. If you're here this morning also and you've accepted Jesus Christ, I really want to challenge you this week. Here's your homework assignment. School's out for summer, but God never calls us to quit or stop working. Your challenge this week is to sit down and write out your personal testimony. When did you come to Christ? Why did you come to Christ? And how has that changed your life? People need to hear that personal experience with Jesus Christ. They need to hear it from you. You have a pulpit that I do not have in people's lives. You are the witness for Jesus Christ in people's lives that I will never have. And God says, Jesus says, you're the proof. You're the proof of who I am. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gospel and the good news, Lord. Thank you that you didn't just save us, but Lord, now you call us to be your ambassadors. You call us to be your witness. You call us to to speak and to plead and to urge people to accept this gift. Lord, I know there's times that people, they, they can't handle the truth and they don't want the truth, but that shouldn't stop us from proclaiming the truth. Forgive us, Lord, if we have bowed down to fear, if we've bowed down to self-preservation, and if we've not been the witness we need to be to a world that is dying. Lord, I thank you for what your spirit is stirring here at Harvest Hill. I thank you for bringing us to these passages. I thank you for what you want to bring out of these passages in our life and through this church. Lord, we ask that everything we do be about you. Everything we preach be about your gospel and your message. Everything we represent, everything that we testify about, everything that we are proof of as a church be about you and your love. Father, I pray for those here this morning who have yet to accept you as Lord and Savior. As your Spirit has worked in their heart and you have given them the opening of scriptures you did with your disciples here in the Gospel of Luke, that they understand that they are lost without you. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage in this moment that your Spirit just draws them to your presence to come down and let it be known that they want to be saved and they want to accept this incredible gift. Lord, for all my brothers and sisters in Christ here, I just pray that you continue to give us boldness to preach your truth in a loving way and in kindness. Forgive us we failed you in any way. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to come.